This is episode number 13 of Ships with Pete Dunlap. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McAndrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Welcome to the Ships Podcast today, everyone. We have a great guest joining us. His name is Pete Dunlap. He is the founder of Digital Detangler and has spent the last decade immersed in the worlds of education and technology. Armed with a bachelor's in physics and a master's in education, Pete taught internationally in the United Kingdom, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Ecuador. Returning to the United States, he became a software engineer, and he was concerned about the distractions he and his co-workers were facing. He started helping organizations improve employee engagement through transformed digital environments. He's had the privilege of speaking at corporations, including United Way, VACO, United Methodist Church, and 40AU, and universities, including Vanderbilt, Belmont, and Wake Forest. He was named the Moth's Nashville Story Slam champion for his storytelling ability. He's been featured in local media and podcasts. As the creator of Scroll Stopper, which is a Chrome extension, an award-winning author of Digital Detangler, a guide to mindful technology use, Pete has established himself as a leading voice in the movement for more humane technology. So I think you guys are really in for a great episode today. Pete shares some really valuable information in the episode that I think you'll all really enjoy. He talks a lot about humans optimizing for consuming information. And Pete talks a lot about changing your environment to better your lifestyle. We also talk a lot about the importance of socialization and the idea that People today, whether they're adults, teens, or kids, really just need the opportunity to spend more time face-to-face. So I won't give it all away. I think you will really enjoy this episode. So let me introduce Pete Dunlap. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today's guest is Pete Dunlap. Pete, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me on, Pat. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited, too. You really are doing amazing work. And we first got connected through the Digital Wellness Collective, I believe, or maybe even a little bit before that. I feel like we got connected just as that, uh, just as the collective was forming. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. I mean, I think that there's a handful of people that are, you know, that were, I don't know, a year ago, like searching out, like who else is doing this? Who else, <laughs> who else right. is talking about um, the way technology is impacting us? And, and so it, at, at that time it was a pretty small pool and uh, we found each other. So yeah, it's good to connect in, in 
you know, podcast form. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm wondering if uh, we could just start out by maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? And really what led you on to this path that you're pursuing today? Yeah, so I'm happy to share. So I grew up in North Carolina and had kind of a typical childhood. And then I went to Wake Forest for my undergraduate degree, got a degree in physics. Then I went back and got my master's in education. And at that point, you know, I'd spent the majority of my years in my hometown. I'd just gotten married and we needed to get out. So I took a job in the UK teaching. And so I taught in the UK for a year. Then we moved to the Virgin Islands for a year. And then finally, Ecuador. We spent a year in Ecuador. That was our last international year. And we moved back to the States. And at that point, I decided I wanted to be a doing something more technical. So at the time, there was this new position where uh, you were called, I think, an instructional technologist. So you would help teachers learn how to use technology. And um, I almost got a job, but I couldn't quite. And uh, so I went back and ended up doing a software boot camp and became a uh, software developer. And so a lot of what I talk about today comes from kind of both of those experiences. So my skill set of being a teacher combined with, with my knowledge of, of software things and technical topics. And uh, the transition between those two different careers or skill sets was pretty brutal. Like when I was a teacher, it was like, here's, you know, a five minute period when you can go to the bathroom, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then here's the period where you need to be grading things. And here's the period where you have lunch. And it was just very highly structured. And so there was really very little uh, worry that technology was gonna kind of invade all my time. Uh, but once I became a software developer, things changed significantly. I got a super expensive laptop they gave me and a super fast internet connection. And I was supposed to like, quote unquote, get work done. And so that was like a big challenge to go from so much structure to essentially no structure. I think I had a, a one hour meeting per week. Oh, wow. So it was really just wide open time. And I really struggled at first, but I learned about a lot of different tools and things out there to help me stay focused as I was working. And after I spent about probably three or four years building software, I realized that this kind of technical knowledge was valuable. And at the same time, I was listening to a lot of, a lot of people talking about the, the ills of technology, if you will. And, um, and I kind of felt like there, there are better solutions. There are people building things for free that really help people and everyone should know about this. And so I started kind of sharing that with some of my coworkers at the software company and they didn't know about most of this stuff. And I was like, if software developers don't know about this, no one knows about it. And so that's when I, uh, about a year, almost two years ago, um, left building software to full-on start and found Digital Detangler, which is most of, well, I would say most of what I do is speaking. So I speak at conferences, speak at corporations, universities, and then increasingly high schools. People are really, I would say, you know, almost almost to a fault, like more concerned about what technology is doing to their kids than they are themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess we tend to think, think about kids as, you know, the future is more impressionable and they are forming habits that, that will carry through in some ways to uh, the rest of their lives. So it is important. Yeah, it's it's 
actually a really good point that you made that a lot of the attention is focused on kids. And I think for good reason, as you were just saying, that they're kind of cultivating these habits as they're growing up. But I do believe that we are quick to look at the kids and not at ourselves and our own tech habits too. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. Like the stats, like a third of kids say they feel unimportant when their parent is on their smartphone. Oh, man. So there's, there's just, it's, it goes, it cuts both ways. And so I work sometimes with families and that's the, that's the thing is it's, it has to be a family thing. It can't be a like fix the kid situation because very often, you know, there's, there's large periods of time when they're not engaged and they're not socializing. And, and I really think most of this really boils down to, it's not so much about technology as it is about socializing. So spending time engaging in person, uh, one-on-one or in groups with other people. And technology ha- has a component in the sense that it tends to draw us away from those situations by being so interesting sometimes. And then it also, um, technology tends to degrade those experiences if technology is inserted into those experiences. So there's like fascinating studies where they, you know, they have two people who don't know each other get in a room and they have them talk. And then after the conversation, they have those people rate each other as how trustworthy they are and how close they feel to the other person. And if there's a smartphone on the table, even if it's not one of the participants, that it actually diminishes your experiences of closeness with another person and it diminishes your experiences of trust. So there's there's just a lot going on. You also, if you if there's a smartphone nearby, uh, you're actually less intelligent. So there's, a, there's wow. a cognitive cost because you're so part of your brain power is going towards monitoring that device. We are just so tuned in to, to novelty of like new things that could happen. And um, so that creates a, a situation where, I mean, if you forget, uh, it's, it's staggering, but if you forget your smartphone and survive the panic attack, when you get to work, you'll be 26% more productive. So that's a study from Kaspersky Labs. So there's just more and more research coming out um, suggesting that that the way we're interacting with devices, the way we're constantly connected, actually has has serious costs involved and uh, not just benefits. I mean, there are obvious benefits, um, but you know there are there are always people talking about the benefits. And so for for me, it's important to educate people on you know what's going on and the difference which to me, I think is, is very important for, for people like us to talk about, which is that there's a big difference between manipulative user interfaces and technology writ large, right? Technology is great. It expands our world. It allows us to do things we couldn't do before. But if you're spending most of your time just consuming media, consuming content, scrolling endlessly, then it's likely that that's happening because the product has been designed to get you to do that. And that to me is problematic in a way that, that most other technology is not, in a way that Adobe Creative Cloud is not, in a way that software development is not, in a way that building things online, collaborating is not. And so I think there's a distinguishing feature there, which is that active participation on the, on the part of the user versus a, a more passive kind of mindless consumption that goes on for potentially hours and hours a day. If, if we believe the stats about, you know, how much people watch television and then how much time people spend on social media every day. Yeah. We've in a lot of ways have hardwired ourselves to be super or really hyper vigilant to 
our phones when they buzz, when they ring, when they light up, that even if we're in the middle of a conversation, or at least many of us will attend to that phone. And it's almost like an automatic response without most of us even thinking about it. Oh, yeah. And uh, an another thing I, I love to share is, uh, so in the book, The Distracted Mind, which is by Dr. Larry Rosen, who's a psychologist, and then Dr. Adam Gasly, who's a neuroscientist. So they put this book together, which really delves into a lot of the science around technology use. And one of the things they talk about that I found particularly fascinating is that the way humans search for information, the way we seek out information is very similar to the way that small animals and rodents forage for food. And so there's a lot of research backing up the understanding how they optimize to collect the most food. And we do the exact same thing when we, when we optimize for consuming information. And the way they do that is there are, there are two main factors that influence how long sort of, let's say a chipmunk will stay at a given tree before heading off to the next tree to find acorns there. And the first is the distance between trees. So if it's very far from one tree to the other, then you're less likely to make the journey because a hawk might nab you in, the, in, the, in, in between trees. And so distance is the first thing. If you're, if you're closer, you will travel more because it's not as big a deal to go back where you were. And then the other one is the density of the acorns underneath the trees. So if you think about that, the more dense the nuts are or the acorns are underneath the tree you're at, the more like longer you'll stay there before heading off to uh, to another tree. And so, and whereas if, if it's less dense, it take, it's taking so long to find that next acorn, you might as well, you know, risk going to another another tree and see if you can find some. So, so density and and the distance between trees. And so if you apply those two principles to our digital environments, so the distance between websites is, is basically measured in milliseconds on, on, in terms of page load. So it's very, very close. So it's very small distances. And then if you talk about switching between apps on your phone, similarly, it's, it's almost instantaneous. And then if you talk about how dense the information online is, it tends to be less dense. There tends to be less content per page than you would have in, in sort of traditional media, meaning a book, a magazine, even a newspaper. And so we're kind of in this digital environment that is set up to have us being going back and forth between so many different information sources. And so it's not an accident. And I, at, the same, at the same time, I would say there's not like an evil person designing this, but it is a fact that our digital environments are set up such that we will flick back and forth between uh, different apps, different websites, almost continuously and that's kind of baked into the way that it's set up versus uh, sort of traditional media. Like, and, and this is one of the reasons I think, you know, for some people reading books on your smartphone works out great, but I think it's very difficult uh, to do unless you're very disciplined because with a, with a paper book, it's like, you know, I can't, I can't check the weather in my paper book. And uh, it, it becomes much easier to stay focused when you're, when that's all you can do, when there's, when you've created more distance between you and that distraction. And then by the same token, if you can find more dense information sources, then with high quality information, then you're more likely to stay 
versus kind of pages that are built around links and backlinks and getting other people to link. And then that kind of that model uh, generates websites that aren't aren't very interesting in, in terms of their depth. Yeah, it's really incredible. When you put it that way, it makes so much sense because, you know, this distance and density that you were talking about. And I can't imagine really this technology is still so new and I can't imagine what the accumulative effect of it's going to be on our minds and our development and how we evolve as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really a challenge and it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around everything that's going on. I think for me, I think the most important thing that people recognize is that there are solutions out there. And my my biggest push, I would say, if you want to change your behavior um, versus kind of looking within and doing some deep work to kind of change things around, change your desires, change your habits, um, I would I, I think that's great. And people do need to do that. However, I think if you want to change your behavior in a lasting way, the most predictable chance you have of success is to focus on your environment. So people tend to react the way their environment sets them up to react. And so if, for example, you're having trouble with your with your phone, you're always on your phone, you can set limits on how long you use a particular app that's available through iOS and through Android now. And then if you don't have the latest Android, like if you're not on Pixel, you can go ahead and uh, get an app called App Detox. And so all of that allows you to set limits. So if if you want to use Instagram on your phone, you could set a limit. Okay, I only have 30 minutes. And every day that's going to sort of put a cutoff point for you. The other thing I would would say is you can set up things like you can remove everything from your home screen but tools. You can black and white, put black and white screen on your, uh, um, change this the settings so that your screen is black and white. There are a lot of things. Another thing is typing to open apps, which you can use through the Spotlight feature on an iOS device, or you can use something called Nova Launcher uh, for Android. So there's a lot of options to, to reconfigure your phone, your phone's sort of envir- digital environment. And then beyond that, I really, really push people to to shift anything that they do on their smartphone over to their laptop that can be done on the laptop. Because a phone is really a media consumption device. It's so good at having you scroll through something or having you watch something. That's why all the displays are so nice. And uh, what happens is you, you tend to do things like scrolling, things like tweeting, things like posting an image in, in a way that uh, that you won't do on your on your laptop. And if you shift things over to your laptop, there's there's a couple benefits. And one is that it has that keyboard, which which just in, instantly kind of puts you in input mode, not just intake mode. And then beyond that, you also have a much better behaved device in terms of while you're driving, in terms of while you're eating with other people. Almost always your phone is available, but almost always your laptop is closed in a way. And so that's something I would encourage people to do, shift over to the laptop. And then once you're there, there are all kinds of things you can do uh, to change the way you experience the internet on your, on your laptop. So there, are, I mostly tell people about Chrome extensions because Chrome is the most popular browser. But what Chrome extensions do is they change the internet in some way. And so um, one example is an is a 
app called StyleBot that you can install. This is a, a Chrome extension. And what it does is it allows you to click on something and then there's, a, there's an option to hide it. And so you can hide something on any website and that thing is hidden forever. Huh. So when I was a teacher, I always did this with, with uh, comments because I'd be showing students some website and there'd be comments and you just never know what's gonna be, show up in a comment. And so I could just remove comments from the website. Like uh, I remember I did that to YouTube and there was just no comments for anything I ever showed. And I also protected myself from seeing, you know, random trolls comments about things, um, which I consider to be a positive. The, the other thing you can do is you can uh, use it to remove uh, links that show up in the gutters of articles. So very often it's difficult to get to the bottom of an article because there's like, you know, these kind of clickbait things and all down the side as you scroll. And so you can remove things like that permanently from sites that you frequent. And uh, so I think that's a great way to do it. And then I also always like to plug my own Chrome extension, which is StyleBot. Sorry, not StyleBot, uh, Scroll Stopper. So what Scroll Stopper does is it allows you to experience social media, but it just truncates the infinite scroll that is on the newsfeed. So, you know, you go into your newsfeed and you just scroll and scroll and scroll. And I just kind of thought there should be a way to spend a medium amount of time on social media or to be involved in groups, to be able to connect with people, to be able to find people without constantly scrolling. And uh, so, so it just truncates the, the newsfeed on, it works on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Pinterest, um, Reddit, like a handful, a handful of the major platforms. And uh, so that's a, another thing you can do. And then if you want to get pretty hardcore, there's a, there's another Chrome extension called Stay Focused. And what it does is it allows you to set up a blacklist of sites that you only get a certain amount of time, a certain bucket of time in those sites. So you can set it for 30 minutes, 30 minutes a day. I can be on all these social media sites. I can be on all these news sites because people spend a lot of time on news sites as well. And, uh, and then it will cut you off once you reach your limit. And then they even have a, a feature that, which is the opposite where you can whitelist sites and then you can set it up so that you can only use those sites. And, uh, but that, that's great in case there's like a couple websites you need and you really need to get something done. You can really stay focused by doing that. So, uh, I mean, all, all told my, my big message is work on your environment, set up an environment where you're going to be effective, where you're going to be productive and where you're going to have a little bit more control over your time. Certainly, if you enjoy social media, that doesn't mean you never need to use social media. It just means you want your time to be in line with your values. And I, I really push the tweaking your environment is the best way to bring those in line in a, in a sustainable way. Pete, these are all incredible tools and tips that you just shared there. Some of this stuff I wasn't even aware of. And what, what I'm hearing from what you were just talking about is really to be hyper and super intentional with how you're using technology. And like you were talking about having a lot of the information that you use or, or look up being on the laptop instead of the smartphone, I feel is very crucial because with a laptop or computer, you're going on there in most cases for a purpose. Whereas with your cell phone, oftentimes the only purpose might be to relieve boredom. So with all these different tools and, and tips that you were sharing, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the heart of it is 
yes, of course, changing your environment and then also being very intentional with your environment. Yeah. And I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do even around your house. I know a, uh, a, pro, a, a high school or a, sorry, a middle school principal. And what he does is when he gets home, because people will keep texting and calling him all day. And uh, what he does is he puts his phone on top of his, his refrigerator. So in case something important does come through, he can he can have the phone on do not disturb and allow his favorite contacts to come through, but he's not kind of constantly hearing all of that and constantly being connected. The other thing is I met a, a woman in uh, North Carolina who what she does is she bought an old fashioned watch. And the reason she did that was because she found what she was doing is she was going to her phone to see what time it was. And then of course there's a few notifications. And so she'd end up spending time, you know, ticking off or checking out these, these different push notifications and, uh, and not just getting the time. And so, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things people are doing. Another thing I'm big on, and I just think is like absolutely transformative is put your Wi-Fi on a timer, like an outlet timer. You can get these at Home Depot or Lowe's for like five or six bucks. And you just set a start and an end time so that at some point during your evening, the internet cuts off. And so you kind of build in this buffer of like this, this default suggestion that perhaps like maybe the day's over or maybe it's time to wind down instead of kind of just this perpetual connectivity, which, uh, which of course you can, you can always flip the switch on your, on your timer and, and get it back. But it just adds a little bit of a, an external check on what you're doing because other, otherwise it's just, it's just too easy to get sucked into things. And, you know, for example, television, you just binge watch episode after episode and uh, you, you end up spending time that you didn't expect to, or didn't intend to. And I'm curious if you could, you've touched upon this a little bit, I think just instinctually, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the name of your business, Digital Detangler. I I really I really love this name, and I think it <laughs> probably I assume it resonates with a lot of people. So I'm wondering if you could explain how you came up with the name and why it suits uh, the work that you do so well. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is great. You, no one has ever asked me that, which I really appreciate um, getting a new question. So the the reason I called a digital detangler. So first of all, detangler came from, I, I used to work for this doctor, you know, just a random ad at, at my university. And I, and I responded to it and he just had stuff all over the place. He was very disorganized. He was very talented. But he was very disorganized. And so I was just, he basically hired me just to go through all of his stuff and be like, hey, what's the deal? What's the deal? <laughs> you know, really like put, his, put his nose to the grindstone in terms of his disorganization. And so he called that the detangler. And so then, you know, as I was starting this, the other thing that I like about detangler is, in terms of digital detangler, is it doesn't suggest that we're quitting this. You know, if I named it digital detox, it would suggest that you know we're we're getting away from technology. The whole point is that technology is bad, and we're getting away from it. To me, it's very important that people have an option to use technology in meaningful ways to expand their worlds with technology, but have it in its place. So it is not running your life. It is not kind of the medium through which you experience much of the world. And so that, to me, was a little bit more like detangling cables or something. You're not you're not actually like throwing all of it away. But as you start to detangle things, you realize like, oh my gosh, I haven't used this cable in eight years. I don't even have the thing this hooked up to. 
So you can get rid of some things. And then the things that you do have serve you even better. So that's kind of the inspiration for it. I've, I've attempted at, uh, at a couple junctures to come up with a better name and been unable. So that's, that's where the name came from. Well, I, I really love the name because you absolutely put it right. Like it's almost this uh, tangible sort of uh, vision that you get in your mind when you think of digital detangler, because there's so much information and so much technology, so many apps and billions of web pages that it's very easy to get tangled up in all of these things. And with a digital detangler, as you were saying, it you're not necessarily getting rid of a lot of things, but rather putting it into an organized fashion that is going to serve you better. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, and the other thing, though, like that I just thought of, as you said, that there are billions of web pages. That's true. There's a there's a tremendous long tail in terms of the Internet. So there are just zillions of web pages. But if you look at the the bulk of where people are going when they when they log on to the Internet, it is actually very, very non-diverse. So when uh, I think it was AT&T and Time Warner were trying to join, they were having some congressional hearings and uh, there was a, a professor or a, a PhD named Craig. I can't remember his last name, but he was he has this organization called DeepMind. And so congressional uh, members were asking him about the way that people are using the Internet. And he said something really interesting, which was in 2009, there were about 150 content providers. So basically sites that were supplying half of the Internet during peak hours. Wow. So about 150 companies by 2014, it was less than 30. That's amazing. So there's a tremendous consolidation of web traffic. And uh, I, I have no doubt that that has continued, if not stabilized to, you know, a handful of like Netflix, Amazon, Facebook, Google, you know, the, Instagram, you can kind of like name them off the top of your head because we go to them so much. And, uh, but I think that's important for people to know because, it, it, we often talk about the internet as if it's kind of farming in the late 1800s, right? Where everyone was involved in it. Everybody's was unique. Everyone's using their own type of seeds. Everyone's collecting their own seeds. And then we kind of look at how products get sold with that image, even though it's kind of a, a massive monoculture farm. And uh, while I, I would not disparage all the changes that happened in between, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a farmer right now. But at the same time, I, th I think it is we're seeing the same thing happen with technology. It's being sold on this on this version of what the, the Internet was supposed to be kind of in the early 90s. And then and then what's happening today is that massive corporations are controlling the flow of people throughout the Internet. And um, and I just I, I think that's interesting. I think people should should be aware that that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So there are s specific populations that. You have worked with, uh, you work, as you were saying before, with a lot of universities, corporations, and as you were saying, you're starting to speak at high schools and starting to speak with families as well. So I'm curious as to why you work with these specific populations and perhaps what are the differences between them? Do they have different concerns when it comes to technology? <sighs> yes and yes and no. I mean, I think the my initial idea about corporations was that they really care about productivity. And to a certain extent, that's true. 
However, there are a lot of companies that are interested in wellness and interested in the way that their employees are are spending time even outside of work. Like I just had a conversation with one of my corporate clients and he was just saying, you know, part of why we bring you in is to talk to people about their work day. You know, how productive are they? How, how much are they multitasking versus spending time, you know, focused on one thing that they want help with. But they also, he was like, we, we want people to disconnect when they're not at work because we want them to be able to come back refreshed the next day. And if they stayed up until 1am watching something like they're, they're just not going to be refreshed. And so that's sort of the, the wellness piece as well. And I will tell you for universities, it's absolutely all wellness. Like universities are facing what I think is going to be coming out soon as like the biggest health crisis in, in terms of mental health. Um, that we've ever had at universities in 2016. This is, this is my big stat. In 2016, for the first time ever, more than half of incoming freshmen to universities rated their own mental health as below average. Wow. So by now, if you walk onto a college camp and, campus and you ask someone, like, are you okay? And of course, they probably say, like, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but, then, but then if you really press and you're like, really, like, how, how are you doing? Are you okay? The answer is, is very often no. And that's a huge deal for college campuses. And they really, I, I've talked to a number of college counselors who are, you know, they're, they're doing all kinds of different things because in the past it was just what the counseling department does or what the wellness department does is they sit you down with a counselor for an hour once a week or once every other week. And they just don't have the staff to do that now. So they're doing, I'm um, at Belmont University, which is local to Nashville doing all kinds of interesting things. They're doing some things online to connect with students. They're doing uh, some walking groups. So groups that have similar issues, whether that be anxiety, loneliness, depression, they kind of group these people together or substance abuse, they group them together and then allow them to kind of form these supportive relationships between each other, which, which I think is really, really speaks to the loneliness that a lot of college students feel or, or, or they're not necessarily sharing the negative feelings they're having or experiences they're going through with their friends. You know, very often uh, she told me that a lot of times like people say they, that nobody has any clue, you know, how much I'm struggling. And what's ironic about that is almost all of them are experiencing that. And so it's, it's getting over that hurdle of, of talking about uh, what's really going on and really connecting in person. And so they're all kind of pointing at that as, as how do we get, how do we get students today to connect with each other? Because um, they're, I mean, the, the average Generation Z uh, kid is spending an hour less every single day of their life with their peers in person. And so that's having an effect on in terms of their socialization. And uh, once socializing becomes a, if, if you combine the fact that social, socializing is not as easy as it was for previous generations because you're doing less of it, with the fact that that video games are so compelling they're way better than they used to be when we were growing up and you combine that with television is way better than it used to be and it it very often is it, it we connect things between episodes in a way that we didn't you know back when i was watching family matters it's just like everything is resolved and there's a tiny moral lesson at the end of every episode yeah and, a good family friendly show right exactly things are different now in terms of television in terms of gaming and um, also another big pain point for high school students is the, is the gaming and, and the research, you know, there was a meta study that came out from, uh, from Oxford 
Um, I can't remember the, the professor's last name, but his name's Dr. Andrew, um, and it starts with a P. And he, he looked at all the studies or, or hundreds of studies, and he basically said an hour or less a day can actually be beneficial for video games. But once you get over three hours a day, there, it tends to degrade your well-being, causing problems, pulling you away from things that, that you, you should be doing that are important parts of life. And uh, then, of course, you say, well, like, what are, what are kids doing? And 27% of them are spending less than an hour a week on, on games. So effectively not gaming at all, which is, which is totally fine. They could even stand to game more. But what's problematic is that 9% of them, uh, this is teens, 9% of teens are spending more than 40 hours a week playing video games. And so that comes out to assuming that they're doing, you know, the same amount each day, 5.7 hours a day. So that's 9%, that's in the millions of kids have, have a ser what we would consider a serious problem with gaming. And so that's, uh, I think, very important for people to recognize that uh, you really need to be careful how much time you're spending with such compelling media. Because once you spend a ton of time with that, it starts to make the rest of your life seem boring by contrast. And then once that takes hold, you tend to spend less time on those things that you now consider boring and more time um, on the things that are super compelling, super interesting. And uh, so, so that's, a, I mean, in a nutshell, that's what I talk to people about. And then I, I try and share ideas of ways to, to rein it in. And one of the big things is to, to look at it as an entire family issue or an entire student body issue. It's, it's a problem that we all in some form face and uh, we have to make peace with it in order to be able to get the benefits of technology without kind of without facing all of these distractions and 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 have and throwing up our hands and saying, well, it's 2019. I don't know what else to do. Yeah, it's like figuring out ways to make the to make reality more appealing than what's happening uh, in the media or or on our phones. And yeah, that's a really difficult challenge, especially today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that loses, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah. To, to make reality like as good as Fortnite, it's just, you, you can't <laughs> do it. And, and I don't even know if you would want to. And I mean, that's part of, I think too, how mindfulness is tied into all of this because people who practice mindfulness, they attempt to really experience life as it's happening to them because there's a richness that you can tap into that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. And so I think that's why, you know, mindfulness practices dovetail so well with this, this idea of using technology in mindful ways. But uh, I, yeah, I think you're never going to have reality keep up with, with all of the, the sort of arms race of your attention. We're never going to make it that interesting. And, and so I think it's important for us to build those structural environmental checks to keep us from, from spending all of our time on, on really interesting things. But, but certainly, you know, I, I haven't met people who wake up thinking, I want to spend three hours on Instagram today. And, <laughs> but that happens yeah. like by the million. And so how do, you, how do you find ways to structure your day so that, so that you're not doing that if you don't want to? I'm curious, there's the term digital wellness is thrown out very often now, and it's a, a really a relatively new term. And there have been some people that I've talked to telling them I work in the digital wellness space. And 
They look at me very confused, like, oh, what's digital wellness? And so I'm curious from your perspective, what does digital wellness mean to you? Yeah, I mean, and, and, it's, and it's also confusing because, you know, you can think of like, oh, a Fitbit. Right. It's, yeah. It's a digital product that like it relates to wellness. And so, yeah, it's, it's very tricky to kind of name what you do. Um, but to me, I think digital wellness is, is finding a balance, finding, making peace with your technology such that you can live a life that reflects your values. Uh, to me, like so many people are getting derailed by technology and it's in the interest of, of companies that, that want to show you ads and want to target and, and other companies that want to use that platform to, to target you in uh, very specific ways. And I think that's, you know, those technologies are going to exist. It's going to be there, but people should be informed. They should know, for example, Snapchat um, has a feature, the Snapchat streaks, and they encourage young people the, the street feature encourages young people to text each other or to message each other every single day. And by doing that, what, they, what they've done is they've guaranteed that almost every user is a daily active user, which they report to their investors. And so that's, to me, there's a, there's a difference between a company that's adding value to the user and a company that's kind of manipulating you such that they can claim they're doing, or, or so that they can push more things on you. And I think that that is, to me, like what we're up against. And the, the thing I think is, is great, though, is that people care. People really care about this. And I've had so many conversations with people who care. But then also, you know, Pew released a study, 57% of teens are actively trying to spend less time on social media. So this is, this is not something that, you know, when I first started, started this, I assumed that the people who use technology the least are, are the most sort of skeptical of our new tools. And the people who use it the most would be most accepting of it. Kind of like, can you all just let me have fun on this tool? And um, in fact, what, what happens is that the people who use the tools most are the most aware of the negative impact and most eager to find other solutions. And so to me, this, this problem of the attention economy, this problem of just being swirled around, um, not necessarily being in control of where your attention's going, is the problem that the, all of these delness, digital wellness products and services are trying to solve for people. Because there's very few people who want to just detox completely and leave the, quit the whole business. And, uh, you, you know, I mean, there would be some cost to that, that, that most people don't want to incur. And, you know, at least I can speak for myself. I don't, I don't want to just turn everything off. I want to find a, a healthy way to manage it and then move forward with the, the other things. I mean, for me, this is most of my life, but for everybody else, there's, they're trying to do other things. And, uh, I think it's important people can work on this, get something that's working for them, tweak it over time, but really not be spending all their time thinking about, you know, how much time they're spending on Instagram, for example, or Twitter or, or how much time you're spending on news sites. I think there should just be these little checks that you add in so that you're, uh, you're able to, to spend your time the way you want to. And do you think that more of the responsibility lands on the individual and the way of self-discipline? Or do you think more lands on the big tech companies? Or do you think it's a collaboration between the two? Yeah, I mean, like no way would I say 
like everyone in between 2012 and 2014 had this like simultaneous like like moral problem you know that all, all of it happened at the same time it's just a coincidence like i think it happened because technology companies began competing with each other to to have the number of ad exposures right and so that involves your time you have to be on the platform for them to be making money and they've gotten very good at making the platform interesting so that you will go to it over and over again. So I definitely don't think that it's people's fault that we are where we are today. I mean, I think I think part of the problem is related to the fact that we are very used to not pulling our wallets out when it's time to log on to the, and to the internet and, and get all these free services. So that's part of it is we love free things. And, uh, and we're, we're willing to, to some extent, trade some of our privacy, trade some of our autonomy to these platforms to get that. And, uh, but as people have kind of pushed back, you're, you're, you're seeing some responses from the industry, which I think is, is great and, and laudable. At the same time, I, I think they're, the, I mean, the top five companies in the, in the world in terms of their market cap are all tech companies. And that was not true a couple of decades ago. And so it's hard to imagine that they're going to completely shift these business models. So that's where, uh, you know, I, I think that there are ways that they will be regulated in the future. I don't have all the answers for that, but, but I'm trying to provide people with like, try this, try this, try this in order to take some control back in the meantime, because there's a significant advantage if you are, for example, if you're just coming out of college and you can concentrate on something for an hour and a half straight without interrupting yourself, like you, you have a differentiator in a way that, that a lot of your classmates don't. And so I think that there are serious benefits on a personal level to taking back some control. But I certainly don't think it's like, well, people are just not as responsible as they used to be. I, I absolutely, think, absolutely think we are a product of our environments. And if you set up an environment intentionally, you will spend your time much more intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And how important would you say, given everything that we've talked about, how important is cultivating community today? And how do you believe that technology and social media might be threatening that? Yeah. That, so that's tough. Um, yeah. I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put all of like the breakdown of, of communities and, that sort of thing on technology companies. But it is, I think, having your phone all the time creates a wall between people. So like, imagine you're at a bar, which like, not that I'm telling a personal story, but like, imagine you're at a bar <laughs> and there's someone there who just seems like a nice person and you wanna to talk to them, but they're on their smartphone. The issue is that you don't know what they're doing on their smartphone. They might be doing, you know, responding frantically to some important work deadline that's like down to the wire and they thought they had finished, but like now it, there's actually some changes that need to take place and they're like frantically trying to do it. Or they're just looking at random videos of like people they only vaguely know. And in which case you're pretty uninterruptible. And so it's, it's very difficult for you to know how interruptible someone is. And so rather than take a risk and, and start a conversation, not to mention the fact that because they're focused on something, if somebody comes up and talks to you, it creates this, uh, this interruption. So like I'm doing something, you know, is your first reaction. So you have a negative reaction to somebody coming up. Whereas if you were sitting at the bar, looking around, even maybe even looking at a book, 
you're much more interruptible and you're much more open to social engagement from other people. And so I think as much as possible, we need to create space for that. And the, the other thing I think is, is really important to tell people is please, please, please call people, stop texting. And uh, what happens is we assume that, you know, when I'm texting someone, like, let's say I'm texting you to see if you want to meet up later. I would just, to, the texting mindset says, all I'm trying to do is find out if you want to meet me at this place at 5 p.m. or not, right? That's kind of the transaction. That's what's attractive about it. It's like, that's all I really want to know. But what happens is if I call you, all these other social things start to happen. All these other benefits come with it. I find out the type of day you're having today. I find out from your tone, you know, all sorts of information. And you do the same for me and we connect in a way before we've even gotten together in person. And so we have some things, you know, it will also um, just kind of lubricate the conversation once we're there. We have things to talk about. You told me that you were about to do this this afternoon. How'd that go? In a way that uh, very often, if I follow you on social media and we get together, well, I supposedly, I kind of know what you've been up to. And, uh, but the thing that you post tends to be the thing you're, you're, you're willing to have the world know about. And that's very different from, from the questions I'll ask you for the questions you'll ask me and from the way that you would tell the story if you know only I was going to hear it. And so we, we, we have this sense that we already know things uh, that are going on with the people we, we are familiar with. And we, so we, it get, create, creates this feeling of pseudo connection, but it's very different from the way we evolved having intense social interactions, you know, hours and hours every day. And so I think that that is, uh, is one of the ways in which social media in particular kind of, and, and technology at large pulls you away from that. And then the, the final thing, one, one thing I do want to say in support of this idea of calling people is there's a study of, and they took seven to 12 year old girls and they put them in stressful situations. And uh, then they measured their cortisol levels, which is your stress, one of your stress hormones. And then they measured your oxytocin levels, which is one of the, uh, the kind of positive love hormones. And what they found is that they, they had four groups of them. Some of them got no support some of them got text messages from mom. Some of them got a phone call from mom. And some of them got actually support in person from mom. And what they found is that text messaging support to someone is basically worthless. It's very similar to no support at all. Whereas if you call someone, it is very, very similar to in-person support. And so that should caution us against viewing these, these conversations as, as strictly transactional. Like I just need I just need to know this piece of information from you, or I just need your address, right? And it, and it kind of pushes you away from that real human connection that we need so much. And the, the more we learn about it, the more we, we understand how important it is. It's fascinating. It makes so much sense, as you put it, that really talking to each other on the phone through voice it really can make a difference based on the smallest subtleties that you may hear as opposed to, as you were saying, a text message. Do you think that a lot of relationships today are very transactional? Oh, jeez. <laughs> now you're getting to the hard questions. I mean, I think there is, there is a, I, I, would, I would back off from that and I would say what has happened is that we have internalized the need to optimize in all situations. So, 
um, Aziz Ansari, he has this bit where he's a comedian and he says that he tells this whole story about trying to get the best possible toothbrush. And I think it's, it's interesting because we do, we, we kind of, we optimize in relationships now, right? You, you want the most effective, most talented friends. You want the, the best boss. I mean, you should want the best boss because you want to become better yourself, but it's, it's not, you know, life is full of de-optimized situations and being able to accept that things are not optimal, that you have a lot of uh, things in play in your life, where you live, um, who you live with, the, uh, the, the, the work you do, the extracurricular activities you might partake in, your friendship. There are so many different pieces that have to be managed and they're not all going to be positive and going well all the time. And, and would we accept that mindset that all of your, your goal in life is to just optimize everything? It becomes, a, I think it becomes a drain on those important nuances to our life experiences. So to tasting the food you're eating, right? That's, that's where mindfulness is, is so important to kind of reactivate this sense that this is not just a, a math problem we're doing. As much as I do love math myself, um, it's, it's, it's very much like there is, there is some visceral experiences that we need to take part in, that we need to experience. Um, other than, you know, I, I have a, a 10 month old daughter and I, I caught myself one day, I was feeding her, and my thought was just like, can we just get this food in you? <laughs> and it's like, that's so sad because, yeah, yeah. like, really, I want to experience, I want to experience feeding her. I want to experience, like, her, like, making this, like, fart noise with her mouth, which spews the food all over my face. Like, I want to experience that and savor it because it's, it's, it's already changing. She's already, you know, moving past these stages. And, and it's important to to catch those things while they're happening, and um, so yeah, I think I think that's a big component of it as well. Yeah, from what you're saying, it really is important to lean into these experiences, to lean into the relationships, and enjoy them for what they are, even if they are over a longer period of a time, as opposed to you know trying to suck out the optimization, like you were just saying, right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it is, it is so easy to internalize that, that also that speed, you know, the, we, we want to live our lives at the speed at which the computers calculate things, right? We want, we don't want to waste any time. We'll listen to a podcast while we're driving because we don't want to be doing nothing. And, um, we'll, you know, there's countless ways that we kind of attempt to optimize our time or attempt to avoid boredom. And, um, and like I said, like things are never going to compete, right? Things are never going to be as interesting as your, as your Twitter feed. Things are never going to be as interesting as, you know, the latest game that comes out, but it is important to touch base with, with your community and to really slow down and see and pick up on what are people around me telling me. And, um, you know, I think that grows your ability to empathize, which grows your ability to accept negative feedback, which really is going to accelerate your your personal growth, because it is very hard to grow significantly based on only positive feedback. It's like the, the more people are willing to and open to and encouraged to give you negative feedback, the more likely you are to, to grow from that. And the more you'll be able to suss out, well, that's the only person that's ever told me that, or five people have mentioned this, this is clearly something I need to work on. And um, getting to that point really allows us 
to, uh, to experience our lives in a much more rich way and to know people on a much deeper level. And that actually segues very nicely to what I was going to ask you next. On the SHIPS podcast, we talk a lot about the importance of human relationships and meaningful and deep relationships, specifically in our digital age. So from what you were just talking about, do you believe that's how we improve our relationships today? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. No matter what you do, just spend more time with people spend more time with your friends. And uh, one thing I would say that for me, I've experienced massive benefits from is I have a very good friend who, you know, we'd have every few months, probably every two or three months, we'd have an hour long phone conversation. And what we started doing was, I guess, probably a year and a half ago, we started calling each other once a week on the same time, 4pm Monday. So we always have a phone conversation. And that has been so helpful personally and professionally. Because when you invest that much time with someone, he knows all the nuances of, of digital detangler, the challenges, the, the triumphs, and he's able to quickly come up to speed when I start explaining something. And so we're able to go places that we couldn't go otherwise. And, you know, and, and then we hold each other accountable. You know, we say, this is what I'm trying to do. You know, this is what I'm trying to do in the next two months. Um, you know, and this is what I'm going to do to do it. And then I'll do the same for him. He was, he was at the time finishing his dissertation for his PhD. And so it was really like, you know, what are you going to get done in the next few weeks uh, toward those goals that you have? And uh, I mean, I just can't even tell you, like, it's, it's so beneficial because you grow the number of people you can call in an emergency, you know, to beyond. I mean, it would be just family. I probably would have said prior to um, starting that weekly phone conversation, but he's absolutely someone I could rely on um, for almost anything because we've put in the time and because we've been intentional about it. We've set up a, a and, and I'm all about this defaults. We've set in a default where every day, if you, you have to, you have to opt out. You can't, you, you don't have to opt in every week. It's going to happen. And uh, you have to kind of get out of it if you need, if you have something that conflicts. But having those defaults of that social interaction is, is so huge to me. Yeah. And it's for th these kind of practices, I believe, uh, obviously cultivating relationships really throughout the time has been something that's very important. And I think these practices that are, you're talking about are only going to grow in importance as we continue to advance technologically. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I, I think there's a lot of uh, opportunities for people to connect with like-minded people. And, and you know, I've, I've uh, gone to meetups from meetup.com. And there's, there's a lot of ways to do it. But uh, as much as possible, find ways to connect with people who live near you in a meaningful way, you know, and, and that can take all kinds of forms. But it's very, very important to do that in terms of your happiness, in terms of your longevity, in terms of even helping your relationship with technology. I mean, if you're spending six hours a day playing a video game and then you stop it, well, you're just going to go insane inside your house if you don't have some ideas or some people that you can kind of begin to foster a relationship with and get yourself out there again, because that's a, that's a tough transition for people. And uh, it's it's but that to me is the bedrock of all of this is, is social interaction, increasing that live real time social interaction where you don't have the kind of protection of a keyboard or the anonymity of a keyboard. 
I think it's it's so important to have those in-person live connections. Yes, it's so important. Pete, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate you sharing all about your experiences and all the great work that you're doing with Digital Detangler. Uh, before we head on out, I'm wondering if you could just share with our listeners, whether it's your website or some other outlets that they could learn more about you and your work. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my website is digitaldetangler.com. And uh, I also have a book, which you can read about on the website, or you can just go to Amazon and search Digital Detangler, A Guide to Mindful Technology Use. And uh, so, and then I'm doing speaking all over the place. If anybody wants to uh, talk about that, um, or also the family, the family services I offer, um, I'm, I'm always trying to talk to people who are interested in this, whether or not they're going to pay me money. Um, but I think it's just, it's it's absolutely um, super important that uh, that we get this message out there and uh, and find as many channels for doing that as possible. So yeah, my website is Digitally Tangler. I am on LinkedIn, but that's the only social media presence I I care about or, or keep up with. Um, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, th- there's a for me, there's a great value in terms of keeping track of who's who. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Pete, th- thank you so much again. Really appreciate it. No, thank you, Pat. I mean, it's, it's an honor to be on the uh, podcast. I really appreciate it. There you have it, everyone. Pete Dunlap founder of Digital Detangler. So great having him on the Ships podcast. And I really hope you have the opportunity to take all of these tools and tips that he shared with us today and implement them into your life. If you liked this podcast, please feel free to leave a comment, leave a review, subscribe, or if you have the Anchor app, please feel free to give us a call, leave a voicemail, and that voicemail may be published in a future episode of Ships. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing episodes with amazing and inspiring guests. So I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Pete, and I'll catch you all soon.